And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It is the hot day edition of The Real Investment Show. That's right, halfway through the week and uh, already getting ready to head into back to school shopping season. That's all coming up here and that's one of the interesting things here, you know, a lot of discussion here as of late about the first two quarters of GDP growth were negative. So clearly we're in a recession, right? Well, maybe not so fast. And we've talked about this, you know, before and, and have discussed this. Yes, the first two quarters were negative, but there were still some aspects of the economy that were still in growth mode, namely employment was uh, continuing to expand. And so when the National Bureau of Economic Research looks at the economic data, they are looking for a definitive slowdown in economic growth over two quarters. Now, we relate that back to two quarters of economic growth, but there's several factors they tend to look at. The other side of this is, is that also we could very well see a bump in economic activity in quarter three and quarter four because of just seasonal trends of the economy. And again, when we start looking at what we have going on right now, everybody's getting ready to go back to school, got to buy new clothes, new stuff, gotta, you know, send kids back to school, right? Shopping gets to pick up here a bit. So that consumption tends to feed back through. So it wouldn't be surprising that we might see a very small uptick in economic growth in quarter three, maybe even quarter four because of what's happening with retail shopping season, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Uh, if you didn't know this, by the way, October 31st, Halloween, is one of the biggest retail shopping days of the year. So everybody goes out and buys lots of Halloween stuff, candy, etc. Big shopping day. So that's all additional inflows into the economy. Um, because again, consumption makes up about 70% of economic growth. So again, it's these, these holiday shopping periods are you know, consequential to supporting economic growth. So again, we could very well see some positive economic growth in quarter three, quarter four, albeit light, you know, you know, small amounts of growth is possible. Um, and most likely we won't see the actual recession recession, uh, official recession until 2023 as all these Fed rate hikes. And again, uh, one thing we'll talk about this morning is the CPI report coming out today at 7.30 this morning. All eyes are watching that CPI report this morning. Will the Fed hike rates? Will the Fed be more aggressive? Will they start to taper? That's, that's all everybody's focusing on right now as it relates back to the financial markets itself. But the question here is, is, is will the, as, as, he's fed, as the Fed continues to hike rates, and, and they've been hiking rates since March, right? So we've had you know, uh, the rate hikes in March, and then in July, we're gonna have more in, in September. And those rate hikes take about nine months to show up in the economy. So a lot of these rate hikes haven't even impacted economic growth yet. That won't occur until 2023. So the real risk of an economic downturn, if we're gonna have one, is gonna be in 2023. Uh, not really kind of front-loaded in 2022. And that's also what yield curves are telling us, right? So yield curves, um, that is, if you're not familiar with what a yield curve is, the yield curve is when one set of interest rates, say like the 10-year interest rate, is lower than the you know, previous uh, or, or, the, or, or the shorter uh, yields on bonds. So like one year, uh, the one month, the one year, the two year. 
if the yield on the 10-year is lower than the, the shorter end of the curve, that's called an inversion. And what that means is simply is that money is coming back in and, and people are only willing to loan out money short term. They're not willing to loan out money long term because they're unsure of the economy. So that's why yield curves tend to be um, a good recessionary indicator, but not when they actually invert. This is one of the mistakes that people make. They say, well, the, the yield curve is inverted. That means we're in a recession. No, that's, that's really not what it means. And that's also why the first two quarters of this year were also probably not a recession because what the yield curves tell you is when the economy actually moves into recession, and we won't know this till after the fact, but the yield curve will uninvert as money starts to move into safety. So it moves out of short-term risk into long-term safety, that's 10-year treasuries. And so the yield curve uninverts at that point. And even though it may be another six months or so before the National Bureau of Economic Research actually dates the recession, the yield curve uninversion after it inverts and remains uninverted for you know, a few months as it has been right now, we will see that uninversion. When that uninversion occurs, that's where most likely the recession has started. So again, lots of indicators right now suggesting that yes, the economy is very weak, not certainly, certainly not improving. The National Federation of Independent Business out yesterday with their monthly report showing that sales expectations. Now this is, this is the big driver of small businesses. Small businesses are, are the heartbeat of America expectations for sales are plummeting, right? I mean, the small business owners are just like, man, we are just terrified about what's about to happen with our sales. They're starting to cut back on CapEx plans and their outlooks for, for hiring, et cetera, all turning down because of concerns about what's happening in the economy and what's going to happen. So again, a lot of these indicators are telling us a recession is coming, not that we've already had one. So again, a lot of this is all kind of, of playing to, to this base. Uh, but again, the Federal, the Federal Reserve in particular is going to continue to hike rates right now to fight inflation. Why? Well, because unemployment is strong. Unemployment hasn't reverted yet. It will as the economy moves into recession. And right now, a lot of companies, and we saw this yesterday with the productivity report, right? So productivity by employees dropping sharply. Employees are being much less productive, Brent. Um, they're being much less productive at their job, <laughs> but they're getting paid more. So we have rising wage cost and lower productivity. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's the, the, this is part of what feeds into inflation as well. These higher wages in order for companies to retain or hire employees right now, they're having to pay more for them. That gets passed on to consumers. So while we may be seeing some relief at the, in, in inflationary pressures at the gas pump, such as you know, gasoline and, and energy prices have come down recently, food prices are coming down in some areas, um, while we're seeing some relief there, right? these wage costs have to either A, be passed on to consumers, which means higher inflationary prices for consumers on stuff that they buy or consume, or companies have to start cutting back on labor, and that's where we start getting these layoffs and pick up uh, and pick up an unemployment. Typically, once companies have passed on as much of that wage pressure as they can to consumers, in other words, consumers stop buying because, well, costs are just getting too high, well, that's when the layoffs start to come. And again, we're just at that part of the cycle where companies are still able to pass on some of those costs, but at this point, still being able to absorb some of it as well, and earnings are, are still okay at this moment. But as this continues to weigh on companies' corporate profitability, 
the layoffs will come. It's just a, that's just a function of time unless we have just a miraculous recovery in the economy for a whole variety of reasons I can't even imagine right now. But, you know, if if somehow miraculously everything was to turn on the dime and we were back to, to you know, substantial economic growth, it'd be a different story. But there's really no catalyst right now, right? The Fed's continuing to hike rates. They're continuing to, to uh, decrease their balance sheet. There's really nothing on the horizon right now suggesting the Fed is going to pivot away from that. And again, outside of that, you know, there's really not a lot of catalyst at this point to help speed up economic growth. And again, faster economic growth, if you got it, would also create what? Higher inflation, which means that the Federal Reserve continues their work to lower that inflationary pressure um, and lower economic growth. So again, the whole point here is that there's not a lot of sun on the horizon for a stronger economy right now. The, the weakness really looks to be in front of us, not behind us. All right, quick break, we're gonna come back We'll pick up a little update on the markets where we are this morning. Of course, we're going to be talking about the inflation number coming out at 7.30 this morning. What does that mean for the markets and more importantly for the Fed? We'll talk about all that coming up on The Real Investment Show this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. the show this morning it is of course uh wednesday as we get things going uh flying solo this morning danny ratliff a little bit under the weather i think he's just sleeping in honestly let's be honest me and brant we're here whether it's sickness or injury without fail without fail and then danny gets a little sniffle and he's at home all curled up with his blankie well, he's got all those uh, Petri dishes on legs running yeah. around his house. You know what, though? But I had that. Yeah? I had four of them. Uh -huh. You know what happens? Your immune system gets a lot stronger. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, <laughs> It's so funny, too, because, you know, I watch these young parents, and they're like, you know, it's like, oh, don't go around so-and-so because they're sick. And I'm I, when I was raising my kids, I was like, oh, Jimmy's got the flu? Go play with Jimmy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the mumps. Yes. Has your kid had the mumps yet? No. Can he come over and play with my kid? Exactly. That kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Just get it out of the way. I know. It did better immune system. Now yeah. my kids don't get sick. It's like, right. you know, they're, they're well, like... we used to eat dirt, so... I know. Well, so did my kids. <laughs> so... That's how we fed them. Go eat dirt. Roughage. <laughs> Drink out of the garden hose. <laughs> That'll, that was the uh, best water. It was. Still is. It's not great for you, but... No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, in the summer, it was like 900 degrees coming out of the hose, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Quick thing. Let's, uh, let's jump over here to our chart this morning. Just kind of take a quick look at the markets. Um, so, and we'll, get, we'll talk about inflation here in a second. 
the CPI report is out this morning, and of course, this is really the 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 breath moment, right, for the markets. And over the last uh, couple of days, as we've been talking about, the market's really not gone much of anywhere. Just really have been kind of consolidating in this, you know, kind of very tight range here over the last, uh, you know, four or five days. And again, this is all kind of pushing right back up on these previous tops that we saw back in, and really kind of, you know, this this um, kind of May, June, you know, late May, early June period. Markets had rallied, consolidated for, you know, about a, a week or so, and then finally broke down and went and set new lows. Now, I'm not, now I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but we have that very same type of action here. Markets were very oversold. Um, we had this nice rally. Markets have run up into previous resistance levels and have now been consolidating along the, the bottom of that resistance level. So it's been unable to get above that resistance level, but it is, you know, fighting with it and holding in there so far. So, you know, it's actually pretty good. The problem, though, now is that we're starting to trigger early sell signals on some of our indicators. And the, the most important one, which is our, our moving average convergence divergence indicator, it's a MACD, if you're familiar with technical analysis. But basically, it just kind of measures price momentum and, you know, is it improving or is it weakening? And we're starting to see some signs of early weakness. And, and again, those sell signals tend to be pretty decent for the markets in terms of saying, hey, you know, this is kind of a risk off period for the market. Doesn't mean you go sell everything, right? Uh, never recommend doing that. But, you know, when you get these, you know, kind of more important sell signals in the short term, it's at least kind of a be aware it's a risk off area. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go down in price, but you know we're certainly in a point of time where you'll be more cautious about where you're putting assets and putting capital to work. And that's kind of where we are at the moment. So again, as we kind of take a look at you know the market, we're still very structurally within a downtrend of the markets ever since the really this March rally that we had back here and since the, the beginning of the year. Markets are still in a downtrend, but it's not been terrible, right? It's not been this this you know terrible sell-off in the markets of you know 30, 40 percent of real bear market. We're still in a correction. We talked about this yesterday. We're not in a bear market. Feels like a bear market because we just can't really seem to get anything going on. And if you take a look at recent articles, everybody's like, oh, it's a new bull market. Bull market's back. Well, no, we actually never left the bull market. We're just in a correction within an uptrend at this point, uh, going back to 2009. Markets have been very, very solidly higher. And still, it's hard to say you're in a bear market when you're still, you know, about 22% higher than you were at the peak of the market in March of 2019. So, you know, considering you've posted up, you know, 10% annualized returns over the last 10, two years, it's not been really a bearish type of market. So as bad as it may feel for you this year, it's always important to keep things in context. Markets don't, you know, while we were kind of reset our expectations on the first of every year, you got to keep things in perspective. Looking back over a couple of years, where are you from a couple of years ago, where you are now, still clearly in a bull market, not a bear market. But doesn't mean that can't change, obviously. And, and this is the one thing that we continue to kind of pay attention to valuations are still very high. Right now, we're currently running about 30 times earnings on the S&P um, on long-term CAPE-adjusted valuations. We've talked about that before. You know, trailing earnings, uh, trailing valuations still very high. Uh, the deviation of price from the long-term exponential growth trend that goes all the way back to 1900 still extremely elevated. We're more than 100% above that long-term exponential growth trend. That's just that has only happened a couple of times in history, 1929 and 1999. 
right? That's about the only two times in history we've been this elevated above that long, our long-term exponential growth trend. And in order to have an exponential growth trend, obviously, prices have to revert back below that growth trend over time. Um, otherwise, the growth trend would start to just curve upwards. So again, there's a, there's a lot of concern here, obviously, and and you know as this inflation report is such a key metric, because all eyes have now we're now solely focused on the Federal Reserve, right? We no longer really pay attention to fundamentals. It's like Lance, that's great talking about valuations. Who cares? You know, valuations really don't matter anymore. Nobody pays attention to valuations, and you're right, right? I mean, this is the way it's been over the last, you know, uh, twelve years. Fundamentals don't really matter. It's whatever the Fed is doing. Is the Fed increasing interest rates or decreasing interest rates? Are they increasing their balance sheet or are they decreasing their balance sheet? That's that's really all that markets have pretty much paid attention to. It's all been about liquidity. It's all been, been about access to capital. And there's just a lot of it. And of course, over the last 12 years, as we talked about yesterday, um, you know, a lot of people upset with capitalism, Right. Capitalism is broken. It sucks. Well, it's not really capitalism is broken. It's corporatism that's the problem. And a lot of that's been fostered by the Federal Reserve. So not surprisingly, since the mantra of the market over the last 12 years has been don't fight the Fed, well, everybody's hoping that the Fed will stop fighting them. <laughs> you know, everybody wants the markets to go up and the Fed saying, yeah, we're okay with prices coming down here a bit because we need to fight inflation. And now the markets are going, stop that. Would you please pivot so that stock prices will go back up? And, and it's interesting because, you know, retail investors already are, are, are making that bet that the Fed is about to pivot. All of a sudden, the Fed's going to give up their inflation fight and turn back and start supporting financial markets. Investors piling into companies like AMC, GameStop, et cetera. Big moves in those stocks. Coinbase up 90% um, like in two weeks, Right. Of course, you look at a chart, you really can't tell that <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's still down 60, 70, 80 percent from its peak. But big rally over the course of the last week. I ran a table yesterday. I've got an article coming out in the next few days. Um, but I ran a table yesterday and I, I'd done this study before about six months ago and I ran all the stocks that were down, you know, a lot from their 52 week highs. And. You know, there were just a, a large number of companies at that time. There were like 800 companies that were down more than 20% from their peak. Um, and these are all companies that had $7 billion or more in terms of a market capitalization. So this is all the stocks you know, right? So this is Tesla and Netflix and Roku and Coinbase and Palantir and all these companies, right? They're all in there. And what's interesting is, is that I ran that list again yesterday after this nice rally in the markets that we've had. And that list actually expanded to 1,300 companies. There is a large number of companies, and you know all these names, right? Um, all, these, all the names you know and love are in this list, with the exception of companies like Apple, which is only like 9% off of its 52-week high. But there's a ton of companies in the market right now that are down... 30, 40, 50%. In fact, I, I'm, you know, for the article, I've got 120 companies that are, you know, the most oversold from their 52-week highs. And they're all down more than 40%. So again, 
you know, while the market, the S&P is only down 15% from the peak, while the S&P is not in a bear market, it's in a correction, there's a lot of stocks that are in bear markets. And, you know, you know part of the work that we're going to have to do is determining when we can start to find these diamonds in the rough and start buying them. And you're going to have to hold them for a while, right? You have to buy stuff that's not going to move around for a while and just sit on it with the expectation that once the market gets through what it's got to do, that you've bought some value stocks at very low prices. And, and that's, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about high growth stocks being a value because some of them actually are. They're out there. But you have to do the homework and do it. And then, of course, you're going to have to, you know, buy them and sit on them and wait for them to come back and, and, and price. It's going to be a while. It's going to take a while. But, but this is, but, you know, part of this, you know, interesting paradigm that we're in right now is that there's a lot of people just hoping that the Fed is going to pivot. Jim Cramer. When the Fed pivots, you got to buy stocks. Right? Well, there's no indication right now that the Fed's going to pivot. There's no indication that things are going to change. And, and, and again, this morning, we're going to get this inflation report out. And we'll talk about that after the break. Expectations are that we're going to see the inflation rate tick down to 8.7% this morning. Now, if that happens, or even if we tick down to 8.6%, stocks will probably scream higher today on expectations that the Fed is winning their fight and they're close to the end of their battle. The question will be, are they really? We'll talk about why they may not be when we come back from the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So this morning, we're going to get the highly anticipated CPI inflation number. Now, expectations are this morning it's going to come in about 02 to 0.4%, somewhere, depending on the analyst that you take a look at. And that's going to drop the inflation rate to 8.7% on a year-over-year basis. Now, just, just as a quick reminder, okay, this is all about math. So 
the inflation rate doesn't print when we get inflation, right? So CPI will come out and it'll say, okay, inflation was up 0.2%, whatever it is. Well, that's not the way that the actual index works. The index is a number. So it's like 258.7 is the actual CPI inflation index number. And that index just kind of grows over time, right? Because inflation is always growing over time. Now, there's little, there's little hiccups, you know, where we've had a deflationary period. But generally, the, the, the graph goes from lower left to upper right, right? That's inflation. What we're measuring is the month-over-month and year-over-year change in that index. So as an example, let's say the index was 100, and the index goes to 100.02, right? So we're moving up. So the change on a month over month basis was 0.02%, and that's what we put out there. We say, oh, inflation was up 0.02, right? So whatever it is. The year-over-year change is simply looking at where this index was a year ago. So if today we're at 108.6 and last year was 100, we're up 8.6%, right? So that's how you get your inflation. So it's just a function of math. Now, here's the important thing about this. It's what you're comparing to that is going to drive the inflation number. So again, when we go back and look at this time last year, where were we in terms of inflation? Where was the inflation index a year ago versus today? Now, interestingly enough, we're in a period where inflation was a little bit weaker last year. So the year-over-year comparisons... Are, are, are a little bit more favorable. Now, in the next couple of months, we're, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I've said that backwards. Right now, we're in a period where the year-over-year comparisons were fairly high, so it's a little bit more favorable right now, and this is why we'll see a lower rate of increase potentially um, this month than we've seen in previous months. But when we get to 2023, we're going to start seeing these big comparisons. Like in May, we had a 1.24% increase, right? So just a really big jump. And so we'll compare to that next year, and then we'll see a bigger drop in inflation at that point because of the year-over-year comparison. So again, just you got to keep this in mind. This is all about how math works. So right now, we got a little bit of favorable environment for for a read and so again we could very well see inflation come down now stock market's going to like that potentially if we see a weaker than an inline or weaker than expected number that shows maybe inflation has peaked and the reason the market should like it and this has been the mantra now for the last couple of weeks on this rally is that oh well maybe that means the fed's close to pivoting well what do they mean by a pivot what the Fed's hoping for is that they're going to, or so what investors are hoping for is that the Fed is going to stop hiking interest rates. That's one, step one, stop hiking interest rates. Step one, okay, fine, you're done tightening policy. Well, stopping hiking rates and a reversal of rate hikes and a reinstatement of quantitative easing are very different things. If the Fed just simply pushes interest rates up and then hangs there, 
right? They, so they stop hiking rates. They, so the Fed comes out and says, okay, we're done hiking rates. Now, the, the market's going to take that as favorable, saying, okay, well, if they stop hiking rates, that means they're getting ready to start cutting rates. That's not necessarily the case. As we've talked about, there's no, pre, you know, the markets are really kind of working against themselves, Currently, if you want Fed rate hikes to stop and if you want the Fed to go back to QE, the market should be just selling everything they have. Right. If, 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 if the investor group mob mentality was all like, hey, let's get the Fed to go back to quantitative easing, everybody sell everything. Right. Because what is going to require the Fed to go back to their monetary accommodation is going to be financial instability. Right now, their focus is inflation. That's their big fight. And right now, the markets are doing just fine. Credit spreads are declining. High-risk junk bonds are doing fine. There's no credit risk in the markets right now. Asset prices are doing fine. They've been rising over the last couple of weeks. So this is pulling all the pressure off of the Fed. There's no financial instability right now to push the Fed to start cutting interest rates and and looking at restarting quantitative easing they're big folks they don't like having a nine trillion dollar balance sheet right they want to get that down so that they can use that balance sheet tool again at some point in the future if it just hangs up here at nine trillion that that really limits their ability to operate to some degree inflation and interest rates, right? You know, they, they've only got right now about two and a quarter percent of, of interest rates to drop back down to zero. That's not a lot of room either. They would prefer to have it at three and a half or four. So when they start cutting rates for the next recession, they've got room to really use that tool to help stabilize the economy. But as long as employment's doing fine, the markets are doing fine, credit risk is doing fine. There's no reason for the Fed to stop fighting their inflation fight. Even if in inflation comes down to 8.7%, that is still the highest level in 40 years. We were, when we had, the last time we saw 8.7% was earlier this year, we were all freaking out going, oh my gosh, that's the highest rate in 40 years. Now we're going, man, if we just get back to 8.7%, it'd be great. <laughs> if the Fed wasn't going to cut interest rates and, and stop hiking rates at 8.7% when we were there previously, they're not going to do it now. But nonetheless, the, the, the markets are going to take this expectation most likely. And again, I don't have any idea how the markets are going to react this morning. We'll just see kind of how the number comes in and, and what the markets do. But the expectation is, is that a lower than expected inflation print or an inline inflation print should kind of spark a rally in stocks. We'll see if that happens. A higher than expected number, obviously, would mean the Fed has to be more aggressive that's not going to play well for stocks this morning. And we're all starting to debate on whether or not September. Now, remember, coming up in September, we've got two big events for the Fed coming on. We've got their September meeting, FOMC meeting, where they'll, they'll announce their next rate hike and really talk about what their stance is. We also have Jackson Hole, which is the annual economic Fed Reserve Central Banker Symposium ComFab hee-haw that they have at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, once a year. And that's where all the central banks of the world come together and they, they talk about, you know, how they're going to manage our lives. I mean, uh, how they're going to manage interest rates. So that's so two big events coming up next month that can certainly set the tone for the markets at least over the course of the, of the last quarter of the year. And we'll see. Now, the, after September, you have another meeting in November and December, and then you get back into... Uh, 2023. So, you know, 
a lot of stuff can happen here. And again, this is why you want to be a little bit careful. Markets have been rallying nicely over the course of the last couple of weeks. That's great. Again, we're overbought. We've got some early sell signals in place. But again, doesn't mean markets have to sell off. We could just kind of consolidate here a bit. If the news is good today, see the markets rally. If we can break above resistance, that kind of sets the market up to move a little bit higher here. But we are getting into we're still in very overbought territory. So upside is probably limited at this point. And again, a lot of it's going to really come down to not just what the inflation print is today, but then what a lot of the Fed speakers start to say. Now, remember, the Fed trots out speakers on a regular basis to kind of deliver the tone of, of their positioning, dropping little market hints. And I, and I suspect that even with a softer inflation print, we're going to see a lot of, of talk, even from guys like Cash Carry, that says, look, we've got to fight inflation. That's our, that's our big focus. And I don't think that there's any incentive right now for the Fed to start, you know, cutting rates for sure and there's certainly no incentive for them to start doing QE and again if those have been the market drivers of zero interest rate policies and quantitative easing have been the drivers for the markets over the last 12 years which is there's a very high correlation between those then just because the Fed stops hiking rates doesn't bring back the juice so to speak that has been supporting asset prices so again, I think it's a very, and my point about this is, is that this is a very difficult market to navigate. And so don't just take one bit of data and extrapolate that out and say, okay, well, the bull market's back because there's so many factors that are currently, you know, weighing on markets that it's not as simple as just the Fed stopping hiking rates. There's more factors to it. Again, valuations do matter. Again, earnings matter. Again, you know, corporate, you know, corporate margins matter. And all these are under pressure. High labor costs, weaker economic growth, weaker consumption. It's all kind of weighing on the back end of this earnings environment. Earnings are coming down. Estimates are coming down, right? Those are getting weaker. But again, a lot of this manufacturing data suggests there's still more to go. So just be, you know, just be careful here of making a one-sided bet in an environment where there's so many conflicting pieces of information at one time. It's a very difficult market. And so sometimes it's better just to wait and let the markets tell you what it wants to do rather than trying to predict what markets want to do. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
So I saw one of the best, you know, these, uh, you know, a lot of people like on TikTok and these other social media channels, you know, they, they post these transformative videos, right? Where ah, they, yes. where they say, you know, I'm going to start changing my life and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to film myself for, you know, six months as I go through my transformation. That's, and so somebody sent me one yesterday because, you know, we're always talking about health and fitness and, yeah. you know, why it's important for your, for your, you know, your long, your, your longevity in terms of not only your lifespan, but also your money and why taking care of your health is very important uh, from a financial aspect. So anyway, somebody sent me this uh, video of a guy that's going to start, he's starting a six month journey of transformation. So it shows him it starts out and he's he's doing his push. He's got like one push up. Right. <laughs> and then it kind of fast forward. And of course, you know, you know, as he gets further in, it's this guy with this ripped six pack and lots of muscles and striations and the guy's doing curls and you see him from the neck down. Right. right and right. about this time, the, the guy that started the video comes walking is like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, you know, it's talking about how much pain it takes to you know yeah. do all this. He's like, yeah, I never really started this. With my buddy Juan. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> was it was it Geico that had the series of commercials where a similar circumstance? You see a flabby old guy, you know, working mm. out, and and next thing you know, he's slightly buff and yeah. slightly more buff. And it was a Geico commercial, right. I believe. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Okay. <laughs> Save you fifteen percent of your insurance. Well, they they did. Yeah. Yes, they they actually did. So mm-hmm. we'll see. <laughs> But, it, you know, like I said, we have talked a lot about, you know, uh, you know, retirement planning and, of course, you know, why it why, it, you know, taking care of your health is important. And, and again, you know, we're seeing an escalation now in, in the terms of, you know, old people now moving into retirement. And, you know, we're, we've taken on this kind of, you know, this attitude, even in, in the general media now is like, well, I don't, you know, don't, you don't need to worry about this stuff. It's fine. Just YOLO, you know, just, you only live once. So just, you know, do, do it all as best you can do. And, and it's interesting because again, when you take a look at the statistics of the average American, they don't have a lot of money saved up for retirement. They've been YOLOing their whole life. <laughs> and, you know, they bought houses they can't really afford. They buy cars they really can't afford to drive. And, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they do a lot of things financially that impair their outcomes in the future. And they don't invest enough. They don't save enough. They, they make a lot of, you know, mistakes. Um, you know, and, and this is compounding the problem that as they get into the old their older years right they they haven't taken out things like long-term care insurance you know it's something that you know is always an interesting conversation with people it's like you know have you thought about long-term care insurance like, ah, i hate insurance right it's terrible just you just pay the insurance company money and then you never get your money back and i get it right but you have car insurance right and you may not like paying i hate paying car insurance Right. But it, it, I'm certainly glad I have it if I ever have a wreck. And, you know, that's why we have insurance. And insurance is a function, is something that we all want to try to avoid. We don't, you know, we don't buy the proper type of life insurance. We don't buy, you know, long term care insurance. We don't provide, you know, we, we don't take care of the things that we need. We don't insure the things that we need to insure. And then we get into these latter stages of life where we have this little nest egg of money that we're all depending on living on. And then, you know, illness sets in, catastrophic cost, wipes out the nest egg. And this is not an uncommon occurrence. And, and you know, 
I have these conversations with Chris Liebham here at our office all the time and talking about, you know, why insurance is such a hard sell for people. And, and it's just a, a function that, you know, as these are just kind of issues of mortality that we don't want to face. That's really what it comes down to. I don't want to really pay for long-term care insurance because I feel like I'm kind of wasting money right now. I'm healthy, right? I work out every day. I take care of myself. I eat right. Whatever your excuse is, I don't really need long-term care insurance because I'm okay right now. Problem is, is that when you figure out that you're not okay, it's too late. You can't get the insurance because now you're uninsurable. And uh, there's a, I have a story of, uh, you know, a client I was working with, you know, a few years back, and we were talking about buying life insurance on him and, you know, setting up his estate plan. And, you know, he had a good amount of wealth and he was doing fine and kept him hauling around. He's like, well, yeah, it's just insurance. It's, it's, you know, I just have to pay this premium every year. And it's just kind of money kind of going out the window. I could be investing that money. Hey, I get it. Right. And so we're, we're, we're finally almost getting to the point to where I've got him convinced that, you know, he needs this life insurance policy, you know, to hedge his estate. And, you know, he keeps putting me off. And then just before Christmas, he calls me and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, well, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Now, fortunately, it turned out that it wasn't terminal, Right. So that was it was it was curable. So that was a good thing. But the problem is that it made him uninsurable. And you know, this is you know, this is the problem. By the time that you find out that you have this issue, right? It's too late and it causes a whole variety of other problems. And then of course you spend a whole lot of money, you know dealing with those causes and, and and unfortunately if it turns out to be a non-curable form of cancer or some other form of disease it can be extremely costly and this is why you know we talk about the you know when people get into retirement and later on in life that either the the end of life period right that last 10 to 20 years of your lifespan you can eat up as much as three hundred fifty thousand dollars just paying for health care costs now that may not sound like a lot of money right now, but considering that the average person going into retirement has less than one year salary saved up, in other words, less than a hundred grand, three hundred fifty thousand dollars is a problem, and that's problematic. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to promote insurance. That's that's not what I'm trying to tell you to do. What I'm trying to the, the point I want to get to here, and the point I'm, I'm making is, is that you know we don't pay attention. You know, we, we pay so much attention to what the market's doing today. What's inflation going to do? What, what's the market's going to do? Do You know, how do I need to invest? So we pay so much attention to our money now, right? But we don't pay attention to the things that can take our money away in the future that have absolutely nothing to do with the markets, right? So we don't do the right type of planning. This is why Danny and Richard and Chris Liebham, who runs our insurance agency, you know, these guys do great jobs of doing that financial planning, hedging that risk. You know, my job is just to manage the money. So I focus on the here and now. That's my job. You know, their job is to focus on the future and why, you know, financial planning and all these type of things are so very important because it's that end of cycle that gets you. Those are the things that we can't plan for because we don't have any idea 
how it's going to manifest itself. And then not then it's not necessarily you know we're talking about you know you know unfortunately you know cancer or some type of disease right that that pops up and they're very commonplace and they're not going away anytime soon. But there's also just a whole variety of other things that happen. Catastrophic accident, right? Paralysis, these type of things. Um, you know, there's all these there's all these unknown events that can occur, and if we're and if we haven't planned for those, you know, it can wipe out everything that we've done financially to protect our family, right? And again, why do we do this, right? So you know, you're listening to the show right now because it's boring. And because, you know, it's all about money. And there's very few people that listen to shows like this because it's boring, right? It's about money. And nobody likes to really talk about money. <laughs> but, you know, you're taking a very active role in this to make sure that you're building wealth, not just for you, but for your family, right? That's who we all want to protect, right? I don't, I don't work every day as hard as I do for myself. I mean, personally, I don't need a lot. I could be sitting on a beach right now you know, doing sand combing and getting tips and be okay, you know, but I do this to protect my family, my kids and, and, you know, my, my, my legacy, right? That's, and that's why you do it too. And that's why it's important for both of us to be thinking about these bigger consequences that come down the road. And we don't do that because again, we're kind of all wrapped up in what we're doing now, but it's just something to think about, right? It's something that you, if you haven't put a lot of thought into it, and again, it's, it's morbid because we're talking about mortality. Um, you know, my wife hates when I bring up estate planning at, at home, right? I mean, she will try to find, I mean, she's like, oh, look, there's a spot on the carpet, right? I mean, just anything to avoid the conversation about mortality because the last thing that she wants to think about is me not being there. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure she's poisoning my cupcakes, but... She doesn't want to talk about it. And, and again, this is, you know, this is the function of most people. We don't like dealing with mortality, but mortality is coming whether we want to deal with it or not. And then unfortunately, we don't know when it's coming. You know, you've, you've read these stories about some guys. There was a, I was, there was a story out just the other day. I mean, a, a guy, he's super fit, great, takes great care of himself, eats right, does 50 mile marathon type things. I mean, just, you know, just drop dead of a heart attack. I mean, like nobody saw that coming. Happens all the time. You know, and these are the things that we can't plan for. And this is why it's important to think about these in terms of not just as you're investing in the markets. And again, it's important to understand what's happening in markets. It's easy for us to talk about managing risk in that aspect. What we can't manage risk for is the things that we have absolutely no idea when they're going to occur. Look, sorry to bore you with that. I just think it's an important point and just something you need to think about. If you got questions, be sure and go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Chris Lieben, who handles all of our insurance, uh, can certainly answer any questions you have. Uh, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso, if you need help with financial planning, they can certainly help you with that. Just simply ask a question, say, hey, I need some, I got questions. I need some help. I'll get you hooked up with them and we'll get your questions answered. It's important to take care of it. Uh, meantime, get by the website. Daily commentary will be out in just a few minutes here at 7.30. About the time it hits your box, CPI will be released. We'll have an idea of what that will do. And, of course, we'll see how the markets are going to respond to that today. And we'll talk about it tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz right here on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.